to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter is really one worship service that spreads out in five gatherings over eight days. We follow the last week in the life of Jesus the Christ. We begin today with a parade into Jerusalem. We finish next Sunday outside a tomb on Easter morning. The stories that we share over the next eight days tell us what happened to Jesus. They tell us who Jesus was and who Jesus is. As you participate in worship this week, you too have become part of this story. You join the parade. You are anointed. You have your feet washed. You break bread at the table with Jesus. You see the cross where Jesus dies. You gather next Sunday to prepare his body for a proper burial. You participate in the story, and this story shapes who we are. And so today is Palm Sunday. We imagine standing outside the gates of the holy city of Jerusalem. Pilgrims have come for centuries to celebrate God's greatest act of grace. God deliver us from slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land by parting the sea. We remember. Many people hope that God will come again and save us from the empire that controls our lives, and many others have given up hoping for God. And so today, coming up the road to the holy city is a man from the country riding a donkey. Curious stories are told about him, that he performs miracles and heals people. The people shout at him, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. Are these shouts sincere? Or are we mocking him? Are we cynical? Do any of us believe in a God who still comes to save? Grace is here among us, riding on a donkey. Sin, the empire, injustice, our cynicism, follows grace closely behind. So this is the story from Mark's gospel. When the disciples were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed Jesus were shouting, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. A reading 
from Mark's Gospel, the 11th chapter. After the parade, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The temple, you know, is the center of life. It is where God resides. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple as an infant 40 days after he was born. And there they met the elders Anna and Simeon. Remember how they saw such amazing grace in that child. Every year, Jesus' family would take a trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. At age 12, Jesus' parents actually forgot him amidst the hustle. They had to go back to look for him. They were panicked. And they discovered Jesus in the temple where he was talking about the scriptures with the scholars. During Jesus' trials in the desert, when he was famished unto death, the accuser brought Jesus to the very pinnacle of the temple and told him if he jumped, the angels would catch him. But Jesus chose to trust God instead. One day, Jesus was outside of the temple when he saw a woman and she was about to be stoned to death. Jesus looked at her accusers and said to them, let the one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. So after the noisy, raucous, dusty parade is over, after the shouts of Hosanna have gone away, Jesus comes back to the temple. Entering into that sacred place at night, Jesus looks around. The sacred place holds memories for Jesus' own life, for the life of his ancestors. They remember their suffering and their exile and their persistent hope in God, who had promised them, I will be with you always. I am your God, and you are my people. On this day, we gather in our sacred space, so look around at this building. It's been here since 1965. Some of you were here when it opened. There are memories in this place. Baptisms, wedding vows, funerals of the saints who have gone on before us. Youth lock-ins, that boy or girl you had a crush on. Christmas pageants, choir concerts, sermons or prayers that changed the course of your life. Here we meet people who become lifelong friends. Here we have laughed. Here we have wept. Here we have kept silence. God meets us here.
That night in the temple, Jesus pauses for a moment. A moment of quiet between what he has done and all that he has left to do. He speaks with God. He listens for God. He dwells in the divine presence. In the silence that follows, let your own memories of your time in sacred space gather around you to bless you and to give you strength for the days ahead. Will you dwell for a moment in God's presence? The next day, Jesus and the disciples came back into Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were there selling and those who were buying in the temple. Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers. The seats of those who sold sacrificial doves He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of thieves and robbers. And when the religious authorities heard it, they looked for a way to kill him. They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by this teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Jesus is furious. He drove out those who were there legally doing their official temple business. Why? Well, for one thing, the entire system was rigged. Every pilgrim who came to the temple had to change their money and go to the currency tables and buy a sacrificial animal. With every transaction, these business persons started skimming off the top for their own healthy profit. And they turned this temple, the home of God that belonged to the people, into a place where the elite could make money. It wasn't just the money changers in the temple that made Jesus angry. In his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee and all across Judea, there was a vast system set up for economic exploitation. The land and all of its produce was exploited for profit. Human labor was exploited for profit. People were taxed to death to pay for war and to the lavish lifestyles of the rich, while the people who were poor starved. If you got into debt, there was no way out. The rich were obscenely rich and owned everything. The poor were obscenely poor and owned nothing. Can you imagine? This 
is not the way God created the world. Creation's abundance was given to bless every living thing. But all of it was spoiled by greed, even here, even in the temple. It made Jesus furious. How does it make you feel? Land, water, clean air, the human body. Some things are gifts from God and are not meant to become commodities that are bought and sold, hoarded and abused or exploited for profit. Where do you draw the line? Does Jesus inspire you to make a scene? What cost are you willing to incur for the sake of God's vision of abundance, of sharing, of human flourishing? Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowds putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins with which are worth about a penny. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In the courtyard in the treasury that day, where Jesus and his disciples sat watching, there were 13 wooden boxes with trumpet-shaped bronze funnels that guided the coins into the offering boxes. So you would throw your coins into the metal funnel in the middle of a stone courtyard surrounded by stone walls. And the sound of your coins cascading into the funnel would echo throughout the courtyard. And so everyone could hear how much you gave. 
So those who put in large sums created quite a clamor as their offering banged down through the metal funnels. It was a pretty clever way of turning giving into a competitive sport, one that massaged the egos of the wealthy and privileged through the admiration of those around them who could hear and see how much they gave. And then a widow emerges from the shadows, and Jesus hears and watches her give her last two cents, her last two coins. Yet Jesus says that she gave more than all the others contributing to the treasury that day. So what did Jesus see and hear? As is often the case with Jesus, his response to the disciples is confounding. The one who gives less gives more, and those who are giving more, he says, are giving less. Jesus muddles the categories of what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor. Our notions of scarcity and abundance are all mixed up that day. Social hierarchies are turned upside down when the widow living in poverty is elevated above those whom the system is set up to elevate and laud. It is as if the kingdom of God is at hand. According to Jesus' calculations that day, the offering of large sums that would not be missed did not measure up to the meager offering of the one who had the least amount to give. Jesus had eyes and ears to recognize her extravagance. Giving all she had, she put her security, her life into God's hands, just as Jesus will do in the coming days. The widow was able to hold on lightly to her security, to her livelihood. What would it mean for you to give everything away, to hold lightly onto what you have? Remember Jesus' words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.
you too are invited to make an offering to the church, sure, fine. But to God, of course, every day you are invited with the substance of your life to make an offering. What does it mean for you to give your last two cents for the sake of love? Will you bow your heads and find a posture of prayer that is comfortable for you? That last week in Jerusalem, Jesus talks to his disciples about prayer. He has been praying himself. So he knows plenty about the dynamics of prayer. The peace that comes with focusing the mind and the heart. Jesus also knows how doubt creeps into every prayer. So this is what Jesus tells the disciples that last week. Have faith in God. I assure you that whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, And doesn't waver, but believes that what is said will really happen, it will happen. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you will receive it, and it will be so for you. And whenever you stand up to pray, if you have something against anyone, forgive, so that your God may forgive you your wrongdoings. O oh God, in your presence and with that spirit, we lift up our prayers today. We bring into our mind's eye all those who we know who are sick in their bodies or their minds or their spirits. And we pray to you, O oh God, for your healing grace and your mercy to rest on every one of them. the same spirit, we pray for all those who we know, including ourselves, who are grieving. God, may your comfort bless the empty space that our beloved left behind. With 
that same spirit, we pray, O God, for an end to all violence. In every place where there is conflict, may your peace break in. May there be peace in every nation, in every neighborhood, and within every one of our families. We pray for forgiveness, O God. Give us grace that we might forgive the people who have hurt us. And give such grace that the people whom we have hurt might forgive us too. God, there is one more thing we should pray for today. There is one big, audacious thing that we have to ask of you. But for each of us, that one thing might be slightly different. God, we bring before you now the one thing that you know we need. We ask you for it today and trust in you that in your time we will receive it. Gathering all these prayers together, O oh God, we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our divine parent in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth, and to kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. And while Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment. And she broke open the jar, and she poured the ointment out onto his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone 
Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Now friends, as we prepare to depart this place and we prepare for the week ahead, there will be no benediction today because our journey continues until Thursday when we gather like the disciples did in the upper room for a meal together. And all of you are welcome to join us as we wash hands or feet and share this meal. And Friday, some of us will walk the stations of a cross. And some of us will come on Friday evening. All of us are welcome to come on Friday evening here in the sanctuary. And so we must prepare now to enter the valley of death. And we know that the path that Jesus took is not easy. And so before we follow, we anoint. Anointing is a sacramental seal upon all of our human passages through the trials that would threaten to separate us from God. But by God's grace, these passages do not destroy us. They draw us more deeply into the heart of the one who loves us. Now, the anointing oil that we will use is enriched with essential oils, like the ones given to Jesus at his birth by the Magi and the ones used to anoint him in his death. Since we are between birth and death, it is good that we are anointed like Christ that we receive this as a blessing of wholeness. So if you choose, it is your choice. You may come forward and receive an anointing, a blessing for your well-being for the journey ahead. And then you may depart in silence or remain seated in your pew in prayer and meditation. If you desire to receive this anointing, you can come up as you are ready to this chancel area there are rugs on the floor if you would like to kneel, and one of our worship leaders will anoint you. And if you prefer to stand, you may come here to the center aisle, and I will anoint you. Wherever the good news of God's abiding love is proclaimed, in the whole world, we remember the gift of the woman who anointed Jesus, and we receive the grace for ourselves. When you are ready, you may come forward and depart in silence. I'm going to invite my worship leaders up for the anointing.